All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fucking throps? And what the fuck shianados? It is me, Mark. This is my show, WTF. How are you? It's a very uh, exciting uh, show today. Colt Cabana, uh, the wrestler, is on the show. He's now the, an independent wrestler. He was a WWE, briefly, that kind of wrestler. But I'm not even, I don't want to pretend like I'm talking like I know what I'm talking about. Colt is a, a sweet guy, and he uh, he reached out to me years ago uh, about how much he liked my show. Then he built a show, a podcast of his own, sort of based on my model, but for wrestling. And it got me thinking about, you know, is there a crossover? Is Because you know, I've never been a wrestling guy. Uh, never was, never understood it. I was one of those people that was like, yeah, it's fake. Who, what, what, who the hell, what kind of moron? And, uh, I've been schooled. I've been humbled, uh, by my research and by, uh, my experience with him and also thinking more about it and having a good friend, my friend, Brendan, who was uh, a big wrestling fan. I had to be schooled and told to shut up, you know, as the condescending, uh, highbrow douchebag that I can be. I was educated, and then I went and dug into, you know, let me get into this in a minute. There's a couple of things I want to do before I start talking about that. I wrapped 10 episodes of Marin, the uh, single camera, half-hour scripted comedy for IFC. The only problem is you're not going to be able to see them till June. I want them to go on earlier with all my heart. I don't know if that can happen, but it was great. I'm, I'm relieved and excited. They came out uh, I don't know how they came out, but the, the shooting was an amazing experience. I want to thank my cast, uh, the crew, uh, everybody who's involved on a production level. I mean, it was uh, it was a completely new experience for me. I entered it, uh, you know, with an open mind and an open heart, and I uh, I just did the work. And uh, you know, I didn't see myself as anybody other than a guy showing up for work every day and 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 doing the best I could. And and I think we. Uh, it was an incredible learning experience and an incredible experience all around, and I and I hope the the shows that we get out of what we shot are are, are great. Uh, but I want to say I'm very excited, and it was it was amazing. I wish they would be on before June, but that's uh you know that's out of my hands, people. So back to wrestling. So of course I had to throw myself into this because uh, after my talk with Colt Cabana, I thought well maybe I should uh, uh you, you you know think about it. Think about wrestling, because the interesting thing about about Colt, as we'll talk about it, is that, uh, you know, he was compelled towards wrestling as a younger person that not unlike my friend Brendan, he was a huge fan of wrestling and wanted to be a wrestler. Now, before I talked to him and not until after I talked to him, I thought, well, that's, you know, who would want to do that? Well, why not? I mean, it's no different in a lot of ways than than wanting to do any other expressive uh, endeavor. You know, to be in a band, to be a comedian, to be an artist of some kind. But I didn't think about that until I had, you know, started putting stuff together. And this morning, in preparation for my talk with Colt Cabana to be presented to you, I said, well, didn't Roland Barthes, the uh, the famous philosopher and lit critic and uh, semiotician, write an essay, a fairly well-known essay on wrestling that I tried to process when I was a younger man in his book, Mythologies, which I have had. For 20 years, sitting on my bookshelf, which I have read bits and pieces of, which I glean things from. But I know that Roland Barth wrote uh, an essay on wrestling, and I found it, The World of Wrestling. This was written in 1957 to offer some insight to me 
to contextualize professional wrestling and not be a pompous douchebag and say like, ah, fuck wrestling. Because it is pretty amazing <laughs> once you assess it properly. My only, I, I was not, I'm too old to have grown up as a kid in the world of WWE um, or WWF. When I was a kid, when I was nine or 10 and I used to walk to Skaggs Drugstore in Albuquerque, New Mexico, my point of reference for wrestling was I would go to buy my Mad Magazine and on the rack besides the Mad, you know, beside the Mad Magazine along with other magazines, but they always seemed to be right next to each other, very within proximity of each other was Pro Wrestling Magazine. And I talked to Colt about this uh, and they were always right next to the True Detective Magazines. And as a 10-year-old, those magazines were 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 just you know horrifying and sordid they just they, they would sit there on the rack you know exuding a darkness i mean the wrestling magazines it was always some chubby dude in a unitard covered in blood being held by the hair by some other dude perhaps wearing a mask i mean this is old school shit just blood and 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 terrified faces on the cover of pro wrestling magazines. And the, the true crime magazines always had some sort of illustration of a dead lady. And anytime I'd open these up, it was not, it was, it was a low quality newsprint pages. And the, the true crime magazines always had just, you know, murder pictures. And then the wrestling magazines always had these bloodied men in unitards on every page, you know, twisting each other and contorting with horrible facial expressions in this, in this newsprint black and white other than the cover and it just felt so wrong and dark and weird i didn't know it was something i was supposed to be compelled by and i think that was probably the genius of of wwe was that mcmahon the the guy who who took it to the next level really reinvented it for a new for a new youth culture they you know elevated the superhero nature of it but nonetheless, it always represented some sort of darkness. And there was a Sunday morning wrestling program, a local wrestling program, I think from Tingley Coliseum, sponsored by some car dealership or something. And some guy would talk to these overweight guys in unitards, uh, you know, and they were yelling about something. It just never was compelling to me. But now I understand it differently. I understand the roles. I had my friend Brendan explain it to me once that, you know, there it didn't matter whether it was real or not. This was a, a spectacle. This was theater you know this was uh you know you had you had the heel you had the face you had the the struggle of right and wrong and it was portrayed uh consistently and there were narratives that were you know uh that carried throughout uh, several matches and it, it, it was a whole world unto itself and reality or whether it was true or not had nothing to do with it so i pick up roland barts and uh, there was a couple of things about these roles and, and about, you know, the, the nature of the theater and what it satisfied. And I found this to be, you know, interesting. And I'm glad I did the reading. <laughs> I will quote him now. As soon as the adversaries are in the ring, the public is overwhelmed with the obviousness of the roles. As in the theater, each physical type expresses to excess the part which has been assigned to the contestant. So right away, you're like, that's the bad guy. That's the good guy. Now that bad guy's got to pay. Or whatever the, 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 you know, and however much you have invested in the particular character. I mean, there are several different types of heel. There are, there are a few different types of face. And, and you get attached to these conflicts. And you get attached to these characters and how they're portrayed by specific wrestlers. See, I never knew that. I never really took into that. For me, it was always like, it's fake. Who gives a shit? Because I'm unable to connect 
to uh, to what I see as a charade. I, I tend to gravitate and need something real. I wish, and, and now in retrospect, it's the same uh, way I feel about animation. I wish that I could connect and feel these feelings. I'm having a little more luck with animation now. But he goes on to speak. Uh, this is more Bart's. It is obvious that it's such a pitch, it no longer matters whether the passion is genuine or not. What the public wants is the image of passion, not passion itself. There is no more a problem of truth in wrestling than in the theater. In both, what is expected is the intelligible representation of moral situations which are usually private. This exhaustion of the content by the form is the very principle of triumphant classical art. Wrestling is an immediate pantomime, infinitely more efficient than the dramatic pantomime, for the wrestler's gesture needs no anecdote, no decor, in short, no transference in order to appear true. It's the fulfilling of desire, of, of justice, and, and of comeuppance, and the stringing along of that tension. But you know it's going to be relieved. Where else can you find that? He says some wrestlers who are great comedians entertain as much as a Moliere character because they succeed in imposing an immediate reading of their inner nature. I did, I read that this morning and I was like, holy fuck, that is what a good comedian is. God damn it, I got to do some work on my act. But nonetheless, you could see how this would be compelling to a young person to want to be this, to be to have this feeling, to have this control, to have a context, to express yourself in a very specific way that will that will garner great results if you do it perfectly or you do it the best you can, which was interesting to talk to Colt about. But also, it's interesting that this was what defined Andy Kaufman's later career was the, his portrayal of the heel, of the bad guy in his wrestling uh, period. And, and how he, of course, it would be attracted to him. He, he challenged audiences anyways, but he was able to, to find a perfect outlet and form to, to, to almost you know, take what he had been doing his entire career to the next level, both in the ring and then in reality. And he was, you, know, you were not able to really tell whether he was being real or not or, what, or where the prank ended or it didn't, but he was the heel all the way through. That is what you want, is the justice. And you know it's going to come. You don't know how long it'll be strung along and how many matches it will take or what the arc of the narrative is or who the heel is or who the face is. But how often in life do you experience the satisfaction of real justice being delivered? How often does that happen? And the craving for justice, especially in a chaotic world that seems to be full of evil at some time, is deep and rarely satisfied. So this is what wrestling can enact for people that will suspend their disbelief in order to to enjoy it and to feel that satisfaction now before i i i i i bring you my conversation with colt cabana i did i was involved in a wrestling experiment as some of you know i was the the morning show driver of uh the morning sedition program uh on air america i i did a, a, a about 18 months on that show and it was one of the greatest experiences of my life and we did a lot of great funny you know challenging and uh, excitingly entertaining things on that show uh, it was a it was a political uh, radio show. I was a lefty pundit. I went through that period of my life, but uh, you know during that time I got to work with some great guys and uh, we wrote some great comedy and and I learned how to do this. But there was one thing we did that involved wrestling. Uh, the idea was 
what we strung along was we created a guy who was sending us emails. He was a conservative guy that was just sending these emails, calling us pussies, saying we were just liberals. We were, we were, uh, you know, limp wristed, uh, you know, our, you know, everything we stood for was, uh, all the, 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 the right wing attacks possible by uh, against progressives or liberals we personified in this guy's emails and we went through a series of emails where you know where he was antagonizing us and he was telling us that we wouldn't even you know we weren't even going to admit that he was writing these emails and he was saying you know he could kick our ass and everything so we built this character up and uh you know he said he would come down and kick our asses and this and that so we said all right fine if you come down you know you can fight with one of the hosts Come down here. So we set this all up that this guy, this right wing guy was going to come down and fight me or my partner, Mark Riley, that one of the hosts, that was it. And there was only me and Mark Riley. But on the day he came down, we introduced uh, Mick Foley as the co-host for the day. So we had sort of developed, you know, we had built this character of this you know, right wing, you know, uh, heel. And when he shows up and, you know, I've never admitted to this. You know, we have kept this a mystery whether this was real or not to this moment right now. And and Mick Foley comes down and, uh, you know, we set up this, you know, we, we surprised him. We said, well, yeah, our co-host today is Mick Foley, so you're going to be fighting him. And we basically did a wrestling script. And and what you'll hear now is sort of the, the cathartic moment of it, the, the, the moment of contact of uh who the voices you'll hear are, are, are mark riley myself mick foley and uh, brendan mcdonald playing the conservative guy so why don't you th- listen to this dave is a republican he came in we solicited that he's going to fight one of you the lied hosts. to me i didn't we didn't lie to you this is like he's our guest host for today yes. mick foley's our guest host for today he's, he's going to be here for the whole hour and and that's and that that's the deal R- right well all right, so that's the deal. So you know, I'm, I'll do it because you know, I, I, pr- I probably won't win, but I'm, I'm gonna, I'll do it. No, no, no. Yes. Wait, wait, Whoa. Was, wait Whoa. what was that word? Probably. <laughs> <laughs> I probably won't win. Uh, <laughs> this is gonna be well, I, well, what do you want me? To, if I, if I back down, then you guys would make fun of me for yes, that. Yes, we so. would. Yes. Right. Wait, so so we're okay. still gonna make that's fun of keeper. you. You just wouldn't be injured. You're talking like your side doesn't do dirty tricks. Yeah. Uh, granted, we're do- using the bait and switch. We, uh, da- <laughs> debated, we baited you with the mark, switch you to Foley, kind of like the president did with weapons of mass destruction and operation iraqi freedom listen dave dave i don't think you want to do this man i really don't i think you ought to think about it i know you thought about it in the can but that was then i think you need to think about it now right you're telling me to do that look at you you're telling me to do that and then i'm gonna and then i'm gonna think about it and i'm gonna leave and then you guys have a fun time in here exactly they're gonna do it it's okay nobody knows hold on a second dave you do understand there will be consequences for your actions or or lack thereof right you understand I've got yeah, a reputation. I'm not going to come on Air America and, and make a joke out of this thing. Yeah, sure, whatever. You do understand you might look a little bit different when you leave. <laughs> and there are plenty of blunt objects around here that can help in that uh, All right. regard. All right, fine. Let's... Oh, oh, my, whoa, oh, my whoa, goodness, he threw whoa. out the headphones. Uh-oh, uh-oh. I'll tell you what. Yeah. 
I'll yeah. tell you what, you bush-loving fool. Oh, <laughs> I'm going to teach you a little lesson here. I'm not going to smack Maybe you around. Not. I'm just going to twist <laughs> your body and wait. Oh, 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 okay. I'll tell you what. I'll tell you. Right. Tell me you oh, love the environment. All right. I love it. No. Say that every kid deserves a fair shot in this Say every kid deserves a fair shot in this society. Meg, Meg, please, Meg. Regardless of how much money is talking. Now, I don't know whether you thought that was authentic or not, but we got a lot of emails, uh, emails from going like, you know, I, you know, I'm not sure what you did was the right thing to do, but it was great. Uh, you know, thank you for doing that. But also there were the people that were like, you know, look, I'm on your side, but that was wrong. It sounds like you hurt that guy. Uh, you know, those were the the, the real progressives. The, those are the people that would never engage in wrestling anyways. But you know, a lot of people didn't know whether it was real or not. But and, and then a lot of people were like, yeah, that's a classic wrestling script. <laughs> so there you go. There's the truth. Years later. So let's bring on Colt. But, uh, you know, and, uh, before I do that, I just want to read one more thing. This is a nice paragraph about about the idea of wrestling. Now, obviously, this was, you know, this is a French intellectual saying, talking about this, but I thought this really, really sums it up. When the hero or the villain of the drama, the man who was seen a few minutes earlier possessed by moral rage, magnified into a sort of metaphysical sign, leaves the wrestling hall, impassive, anonymous, carrying a small suitcase and arm in arm with his wife, no one can doubt that wrestling holds the power of transmutation, which is common to the spectacle and to religious worship. In the ring and even in the depths of their voluntary ignominy, wrestlers remain gods because they are, for a few moments, the key which opens nature, the pure gesture which separates good from evil and unveils the form of a justice which is at last intelligible. What kid wouldn't want to be part of that? This is my rules of... Um just traveling the roads forever, is I want uh, right by the elevator and first floor if I can get it. First floor? Yeah. Which everyone says, you know, you don't want by the elevator, you don't want by the first floor, that's where all the, that's where all the action is. Right, the noise. Yeah, but the, the, rea the reality is, is I just wrestled a long match, I'm tired, I'm hurting, I could barely walk at 32 years old. Well, that's why they have elevators. Yeah, but then you take that long walk of shame all the way down, and usually, and you should know now. You the got, long walk of shame down an elevator hallway, like, <laughs> as if there's still an audience going. <laughs> well, it, well, not for me. They cheer. Okay. Yeah, but always. I hope if I'm doing my job. <laughs> but uh, I got my merchandise. I got my gear. I got yeah, everything. Yeah. No, I know that. Thing. And I want. Yeah. I don't want to walk at all. Well, that's sort of a, like uh, the the merch thing and the the set like. Even last night, I just left my shit at the theater. They're going to lock it up. But I guess when you're wrestling, it's that's it. It's one night and you're out. Well, there's sometimes where you do the same building, but yeah. I wanna. I never want to leave merch? my stuff there. How much merch do you bring? What okay. do you got? T-shirts? It started. Masks? It's, <laughs> it started with a small backpack, and now yeah. it's worked its way up to a giant duffel. I had to go to Costco and buy this giant duffel bag yeah. because it's gotten out of control. Yeah, so, I, I, it's hard to know, you know, because I guess we're sort of at the same level in terms of our entertainment careers, if you could call what you do. Is that what you'd call it? Of course, it? sure. Yeah. And that, uh, like, I don't know how much to bring. Some nights are better than others, but I'd rather bring less than, you know, than carry a shitload Ooh, home. This is where we differ. Well, no, I just don't know what the, I mean, I guess if I was huge, 
you just have someone take care of it. Then you'll send the shit home. But a lot of times, like ten, like last night, I sold a bunch of shit, and I'm not going to have enough to last me the weekend. Well, I want. That's why I want to bring as much as possible. I don't want, ever want that to happen to me. That, yeah, that would be heartbreaking. That twenty dollars on that T-shirt, not to have that. But wait, that don't be... you have a website where they can go get the T-shirt? Yes, of course. But they'd rather buy it from you. They're, the process of buying that online. So, all right. So, my guest is Cole Cabana, and apparently I'm in the wrong hotel room if I were a wrestler. If you were a wrestler. And, and fortunately, he didn't have a match last night, so he made it down the hallway. It was good an easy you. walk. Thank you. Good for you. Yeah. So, look, I got to be honest with you. I'm not going to try to be uh, you know, condescending or pretend like I know more than I know. Uh, I'm not a wrestling guy, but I know that, uh, that there is definitely similarities between the life you live and the life that I live. And I know that I inspired you... To do a podcast because you've been, yeah you've been taught uh, you know we've been in contact we've uh, been in contact on Twitter by email so what what was the uh, the, the what impel, compelled you to do this podcast well I'm I'm glad you said you weren't gonna I, I my my goal was to win you over the life to to, to win you over that the, that our lives are, are I think are very similar I guess I, I can't step in your shoes I don't know no no I no I I, I believe that yeah. and, I, and there's definitely things I want to ask you about the about wrestling. But I just didn't want to, like, you know, go to Wiki and start talking mm -hmm. about things I don't really understand. Sure. Uh, you know, my friend Brendan is a, a fucking huge wrestling fan. Like, to the, you know, to the point where, like, I get it, you know, but there's, like, like re wrestling sort of like Al Yankovic. If you, if you get into it when you're a kid, then it makes an impression on your mind that lasts for your entire life. My theory is everyone got into wrestling as a kid. Right. And at 14 or 13, when women start coming into the picture, then they stop. And there's a select few... You know what? Oh, like, oh, I don't want to. Oh, you watch. mean women started coming into your life when you start liking? Not women, women coming into wrestling. No, oh, right. well, that, that's when everyone jumps right back in. <laughs> that was a pretty smart move. Yeah, on behalf but, of that guy who, <laughs> who who decided that that women should be in yeah, wrestling. Yeah, some promoter. I'm sure back in the carnival days where it came from. Okay, so it's been around a long time. It's been yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh, the podcast was started. Obviously, what's uh, it called again? The art of wrestling. Right. And. Uh, I mean, to give the, the you know the long story short is I was fired by the WWE. Yeah, um, that was my dream. It, I had a uh, an awful existence there. Yeah, and uh, my career was going nowhere. Mm -hmm. You know, that's why I, there's so many similarities, <laughs> which I think, but I don't know if you think. No, I, yeah. I, I'm, I'm with you. I, you know, look, I, I have a, a definite understanding and respect for disappointment, right. for things not going the way you want to, and then for finding the balls to finding your way. Yeah. I'm, I'm traveling the roads. I'm constantly traveling. Yeah. Um, and I fall in love with podcasts. Somebody points me out to um, Comedy Death Ray, yeah. and then I start listening and yeah. listening, and I find yours yeah. early, maybe yeah. seventh or eighth one. Right. And, uh, and, and I see a lot of myself in you. Yeah. And I, I know to be on the other side, if someone says that to me, I'm just like, ah, whatever. And that's why I, I didn't really reach out and be like, Mark, we're the same. I just, yeah. you know, I kept it to myself. And, sure. I, and I, I looked at you as, as a fan from sure. the inside. Yeah. And to be honest, I, I see from what I hear and from what you say on the podcast, I see yeah. where, where your career's at. Yeah. And I'm traveling. I'm constantly wrestling. Yeah. And you're on this podcast. And yeah. you've been around forever. But you're never like... Forever. Okay. Well, sorry. <laughs> yeah. you've, been, you've been doing yeah. your thing. You're a younger man than me. Right. Yeah, you've hit this wall much earlier than much me. Much earlier. <laughs> Good for you. Thank you. You're ahead of the game. And you're, you're not saying, hey, I'm going to be here. I'm going to yeah. be here. You're just like, oh, I stopped in at the comedy store. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, I, and I'm thinking, well... Uh, 
you know, I, I am going to these shows. And then eventually as your as your podcast moves on, you're like, hey, I'm doing this gig. Yeah. Hey, I'm doing this gig. Things yeah. things are picking up. Things are picking up. And that's kind of where it clicked to me. Um, what a tool this is, but also I found myself having conversations like like your podcast with wrestlers in the locker room. Right. And more so than ever, because my podcast is basically I wanted to take the awesome conversations that we've had half naked, sweaty, you know, everyone's hurting and nobody expects these conversations out of us. These are some of the greatest memories in my career. And I, I thought, what a treat for people outside of the locker room to have. And then when I started listening to yours, I, I, I saw almost not as a science, but just uh, the beauty of the of the the art of the conversation. Oh well, thank you. I'm yeah. very flattered. Yeah, I mean the difference between comics and wrestlers is we're generally in a green room and we're not bleeding. Right. <laughs> Emotionally, maybe a little, but, right. but we're we're not physically bleeding and hobbled. And I think that makes for a better. If you look at the the big picture of it, I mean we're all just dripping sweat, battered, yeah. and we're talking about you know, our sex lives or yeah. just traveling the roads or yeah. anything ridiculous. And then I'm sure you're, well, we can even, let's get into that in a minute. But I mean, but in terms of relating to me as a dude, I'm a fairly specific type of dude. Wait, you're, so your real name is what? Scott? My name's Scott, yeah. Scott what? Colton. Now, and you're a Jew? I am Jewish. See, now, like, see, so this is one of those weird things where you start to realize, well, wrestling really is entertainment. Because in my mind, not because I'm some sort of Jewish elitist, but I, in my mind, I'm like a Jewish wrestler. I mean, I imagine Goldberg's Jewish, right? Yeah, sure. You, you would have to be. But how many are there really a Jewish wrestler? I mean, there's maybe a handful that you've ever heard. Well, you've probably never heard of it. I mean, there was a guy named Barry Horowitz. Yeah. And he was known as one of the biggest losers in the world of wrestling. That was his thing? That losing? was his thing. He lost, yes. <laughs> you need that guy. Yeah, well, that was... And then that... <laughs> 20 years later, that turned out to be me in the WWE. The same situation. And they named me Scotty Goldman. Yeah. Scotty Goldman was my name. It was yeah. like... I don't even know if they knew that they were putting... They were setting the Jews up to lose. That right. was our big thing. Well, I knew that, you know, there was a... You know, in the at the turn of the century, the early 1900s, there were a lot of Jewish boxers. Like, there was a, when... The first wave of Jews came into this country. There were definitely there were a lot of you know when Jews were trying to integrate and pass, but there was a lot of Jewish boxers around, which I never knew. There's Is that a New York thing? Maybe I don't know where they a lot of them were, but I, I knew a buddy of mine who did a, a series of paintings of them. There was definitely a bunch of Jewish boxers, and you know people forget that there there is a type of Jew. Right. That, that, that is stocky and athletic. I mean, it happens. We get stereotyped a lot, but I always say there's a, you know, the sort of peasant uh, working style Jew, and then there's the composer mathematician Jew that, you know, physical styles. But there's definitely some burly Jews around. Thank you. <laughs> Barrel chested, I yeah. like to think. Well, I mean, how, like, what kind of, what, what do you come from? Are the parents happy yeah. about your career choice? Um, well, the parents are okay with the career choice. Uh -huh. They never wanted me. They knew I was going to do this. I've been saying since I was probably 10 years old, I'm going to be a professional wrestler. Now, where I come from is uh, upper middle class Jewish suburbs of Chicago. Highland Park? Uh, close. Deerfield. Okay. Yeah. So, so you grew up in something that's not unfamiliar to me. What's your old man do? Well, that's where it kind of differs. My, my old man sold urban apparel for 25 years. That's, that's you know, that's a Jewish business. Urban apparel, you mean he sold uh, clothes to black people? Brother clothes. Yeah. Yeah, and I was a, a little 13-year-old kid dressed up in fubu and really? and heads-up jeans. Was he a wholesaler or he had a store? He was a, he went on the road. He was a traveling salesman. And he and that's what his racket was. Yeah, and he went from town to town, shop to shop, store to store selling his line. Oh, he had his own line. He, well, no, not his line. 
He repped rep, him. He repped him. Oh, he, really? he rep the lines. A, yeah, a, a bunch of lines. Yeah. So he was the guy on the ground delivering yes. the clothes to the hood. Yeah, and I remember he. Oh man, uh, Echo got really popular. He sold Janko jeans. I live. I went to college because of Janko jeans. Really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and um, I remember Echo got really popular, and he started with him, and then he was like, "Ah, I'm going to go to something else," and he dropped Echo, and Echo became like a multi-million dollar. Uh, was um, that one of his big regrets? I don't know. I never really. It, it, when I bring it up, he kind of easily passes over. But I think he did well enough with Janko that yeah. it was okay for him. And you got a brother? I do have a brother. And he does what? Yeah, he's very successful. Yeah? Yeah, he lives in Los Angeles, uh-huh. and he's an animator for Family Guy. He's one of the top directors. So you're show business family almost. My brother and I are. Yeah. Yeah, we're, and, and, and in the town Deerfield where yeah. everybody I know... Is a lawyer, a doctor. Yeah. Uh, everyone sells real estate. Why? Did, everyone sells real I know, estate. It's like a weird default. Yeah. Of people that uh, you know that didn't uh, that can't do what they all like. My mother did it. It's usually sort of like a housewife, sort of like I'm going to do a business now. Uh, but yeah, a lot of people sell real estate. I don't know why now. Still, it's, all the people, my the people, when you go on Facebook and you look at what these guys are doing, they're all real estate, commercial real estate. Or, yeah. That's weird. So, what did you graduate with in college? So I went to college. Uh, a business degree, but let's go back. So you bar mitzvah. Your mother's sort of like, really, you want to do wrestling? Are you serious about this? No, I mean, because that was they didn't care. I was in awe of it. I couldn't get enough of it. So Everything. how old were you when these first? What blew your mind originally about the wrestling I thing? Like I just remember being three years old, and I know that's weird, but I visually have that no. picture of Andre the Giant uh, getting his hair cut in a, in a, um, in a handicap match. Uh-huh. Sitting on the floor watching the television. My dad had it on. My dad was a very casual wrestling fan. Casual as opposed to he wasn't yelling at the TV. He, yeah, well, he wasn't like what I became, a right. diehard wrestling right. fan, a wrestling nerd, if you will. He just probably grew up with it, kind of. I think, the, yeah. With Blassie and those guys. Right. Because I remember even when I was a kid, I'd go to the, the drugstore, Skaggs and in Albuquerque, and there used to be like at least three or four wrestling magazines, and they were always just bloody, messy guys mm. on the cover of the magazine, Those... always dressed in the same sort of uh, shorts, but no costumes. It was just usually blonde hair, some guy holding some other dude's head, and there was just blood everywhere. Yeah, and now it's become this big show back in the day, right? Yeah. It was just, uh, yeah, guys had Terry, like... Yeah, Terry like Claus shorts. Your character, what Matt Classic? I do, a, yeah, I do a character Matt Classic, which was based off of that. But, but yeah, but I, I mean, I kind, yeah, I do remember some mass, but it was just blood, and mm. it was. I, I don't know why I wasn't compelled towards that. I always went with Mad Magazine. You know, I saw that <laughs> stuff, and I'm like, I don't know what's happening in that world. There was also true crime magazines. I remember there were magazines with bloodied guys in in swimsuits, basically, and then like you know, just weird uh, fake pictures of dead women. I don't know what that was, but those were the sordid sort of like that was the same kind of like that was that kind of morbid fascination thing. Yeah, the magazines were like my Bible. Really? Yeah, growing up. And were, the, I, were those still around, or was it? You're younger than me. How old are you? Uh, Thirty-two. Yeah, yeah. And actually, I, on my podcast, I had a guy who started the magazine uh, craze. Yeah. And we'll get into it later if you want, but he's the guy who got Andy Kaufman into wrestling. Really? Yes. And his name's Bill Apter. Uh-huh. But these things, I mean, front to back, I memorized every single wrestler, every single name, just the whole idea of it. That's what I would bring to school, to recess. I'd go and I'd read these magazines. And the magazines were the internet before the internet, right. weren't they? Yeah. Yeah. But so you were watching this stuff. So when did you start? Okay, you watched that uh, Andre the Giant on television, but when did you start following matches? And what, what was the landscape like then? Because it wasn't old-timey i remember in albuquerque there used to be a local mm. weekly wrestling thing it happened like every week at like the fairgrounds or the civic auditorium right well when i was a kid wrestlemania was already 85 that's the peak of it. right 
that's when it starts. Right. So WWF is on television. I'm yeah. watching all the time. But there is local wrestling, Windy City Wrestling at right. the time. And I'm watching that. Anything. Any wrestling. And that, that was a lot less. Uh, that was a little more kind of raw. Kind it was of in a, yeah, a little studio TV down on the right. south side of Chicago. Right. And he probably had the, the regular host and he would just facilitate the shit talk. Right. And he was also, I think, a car salesman. Right. You right, know, and he got guy. them a sponsorship. Yeah. And they're all working together. Small yeah, business yeah, yeah. style. Yeah. And, but I would watch anything. Anything I could watch. I was enamored with it. I always say that um, people are like, who is your favorite wrestler of all time? And I was just like, any of them. Yeah. They were all cooler than me yeah. because they were doing wrestling. Even the ones in front of 50 people in the worst show in the world, they were cooler than me because they were wrestling and I wasn't. And that's but where I, I wanted to be. But I guess there's part of me, the reason why I never locked in was that I, I, you know, outside of the cover of those magazines, I always thought it was, it was not real. That there was always the issue to me. Like, it seems like guys that really dug it, that didn't matter so much as much as the spectacle of yes. it and, and following the guys they liked. The, the, the idea that, like, you know, you guys talk before, there are scripts that have to be played out, and that, that sort of bothered me. But I was a huge athlete. Yeah. Huge, like, that was my, you my were jockey. I was a sports guy, jock guy, don't, please don't, uh, <laughs> don't judge I kinda, me I kind of sense that when you walked in, I'm like, <laughs> all right, he's this guy, all right, I got it. Oh, thank you. Yeah. And, but I, to me, it was like the ultimate sport, it was, these guys were flying around, moving around, and it was, it was, and I couldn't, I could sign up for baseball and football, but I wasn't allowed to sign up for wrestling, so I think the idea that it was, the sport in it. Obviously, yes, it's a show, and I love the entertainment aspect yeah. of it, but the sport in it and the fact that I couldn't reach it because I wasn't of the age, yeah. um, I think, was what held the fantasy for me. But, I mean, but like, eh, football is a team sport. You learn things, you know? You learn how to take a hit as a team, and, you, you know, you strategize, and you're sitting with other dudes, and, you know, there's a lot of life lessons there if you're smart enough to take them and not think you're going to be a professional football player. I mean, I guess the similarity between what you do in stand-up is, like, you know, like, fuck the team. I want to get an outfit <laughs> and right. make it about me. Yeah. Well, th but wrestling is, is there's for the most part there's three people on that team. Yeah. You know, there's that referee and there's the, your opponent, and the reality is, is you're all working together. You all, you yeah, of course, working together to put on the best possible show. But that's where okay, so that's a show, not a sport. But yes, no, for sure, it's 100 yeah. percent a show, yeah. and I'll, I'm happy to say that. Yeah, I'm I'm not sure anyone's sort of like, <laughs> no, you mean it's not real, right? Mm. Yeah. But the physicality of it yeah. and, and the things that we do in there, um, definitely, that, that's it's definitely that aspect of sport. So, for sure. Okay, so walk me through this. So you, you finished high school. What, you, what did you play, football? I played fo football, yeah. yeah. And um, my parents wouldn't let me go into wrestling school. They said, after you graduate college, you can... So you had to go to college to placate your parents? Yes. And there's like a wrestling school, like a clown school? Yes, like it's a trade school. Sure, there's trade schools all over. For wrestling? For professional wrestling. Really? Yeah. So there's like, there's good ones and there's bad ones? Yeah, there's people ripping off people all over the country. What do you mean ripping off? Uh, I mean, there's bad schools where guys who have wrestled oh, I for thought you two meant like, years. There's like a certain style that oh, is no. uniquely somebody's. No, yeah. there's great schools, and then there's some really bad ones. And I imagine there's private teachers. Like you can get, like, a, are there some you know down and out wrestlers who teach private? Sure, yeah, and they'll and they don't even own a school. They'll take them to shows and right. show them before, right? And gladly take their go to a gym three thousand dollars. Yeah, it yeah. costs that much. Yeah, I pay two thousand. And um, how long of a program is that? That was a year long of training. Really? Yeah. How many people go to this school? It was, you know, people are coming in and out of it, really. It's, it, there's no, in my place, there was no classes. But now some of the schools have classes. Some don't. Um, but I, I, went, I went to, I went to, I had to go to college. And I had to finish college if I wanted to wrestle. And if I went to college, I said, okay, on 
f at the time yeah the announcer jim ross would always yeah. would always say uh about these guys football backgrounds yeah and i was like oh well if i want to if i want to be a pro wrestler and i can't go right now i'll just play football so they'll know that you know i'm i'm you, good you, enough to you, do it you got the right stuff right it. so i went and played college football and it was the worst experience of my life why it was just uh, um i went from being a star in high school to being literally the worst player on a Division One football oh, team. Oh, you take your first hit. The, that's it. Not only You're that. the bench guy? I was red-shirted. I was yeah. fifth on the line in the depth chart. I'm six foot. These guys are 6'9", 350. What school? Uh, Western Michigan. So was it a big football school? Yes, Division One A school. All right. And I am awful. Not only that, the coach hates my guts. Why? Can't believe that we signed this guy up. Why? Uh, because, I mean, my on my tapes I was good, and, and on the games I'm good, but when you size me up against... This, this man. But didn't he know that? I mean, like, didn't you go for an audition or whatever for the football team? Yeah, I mean, and they he, liked what I had. And But why did he end up hating you? I, like, I don't know. You just became the, the I butt. was the guy. Oh, yeah. I was the guy. The <laughs> yeah. first day I walk into, into, into practice, yeah. they give us everything. Yeah. Every Nike this, Nike that, yeah. free breakfast, whatever you want. So why would I bring a pencil? Right. And, uh, and you, Colton, pencil. you don't have a pencil? And I don't even want to reenact it, but he went crazy and i was doing sprints and whatever and the wrestling was bad there was some anti-semitism going on Where? with me at the re- what do you mean i mean i'm in kalamazoo now i was born and sheltered in the right. north suburbs of chicago what do you mean there's anti-semitism on the football team yeah towards me a little bit like what jew boy really? uh yeah sure wear your horns no for you sure got that one? i got that one from a guy from the midwest said that yeah but weren't there other yeah, ethnicities on the team yeah, but I, I not Jewish, right? Not that I knew of, at least. Yeah, yeah. Nobody yeah. was saying, "Hey, I'm I'm the Jewish guy." So you felt me. that from the coach too? Not the coach, but, but just the whole experience. Right, the coach right, right. was awful, and so why would you need a pencil to write down plays? Uh-huh. I don't know. You uh-huh. think they would give this stuff? Yeah, to yeah, you. sure. Couldn't yeah, be bothered. Probably, how about a box of pencils? Sure. So that was the first strike against you. No yeah. pencil guy. Right. Yeah. yeah and yeah. so the so this football experience. How long did you worry on the team? All four years? Or? No, I played one year. I wanted to quit day two. Yeah. Day two. I mean, yeah. honestly, I remember I was doing two days, and thankfully Judge Judy got me through. Sitting in my room alone watching Judge Judy for some reason, I still remember that. Get, you really do through. like wrestling. <laughs> yeah. it's basically the same format. Sure. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and um, yeah, so I mean, I, I I said to myself, listen, I I can't be that guy. I got to play this thing out. Yeah. And I played it out. It was awful. The last day, I went into the coach's office. Yeah. I don't even think he knew who I was. Right. I said, I'm done. I said, Mom, I'm starting wrestling. I don't care what you say. She said, Oh, fine. Stay. Make sure you stay in school. Do whatever you want. So I was going to college. And I was traveling up and down the roads. I would, while in college, yeah. I'm going down to Louisville, Kentucky, in a little barn, and I'm wrestling twice a week in front of 20 people. But had you gone to school for wrestling yet, or you're just winging it? Sorry, no, yeah. I mean, I, I go to wrestling school right. in Chicago. I'm traveling two hours here and back, back and forth. How do you get those gigs? Which ones? Like the traveling to Louisville. Networking. It's all networking. What does that mean, networking? Because, like, you know, with, with comedy, you get a club booker, you get a, mm-hmm. a guy who books these things. Uh, my, my first shows were i was living in kalamazoo and my trainers were doing shows in minnesota yeah so they tell the promoter hey we got these trainees let them come with us uh so i go up i'm doing a 10 hour drive up to minnesota for no money and i get to sleep in my trainer's uh hotel room yeah that's like that's similar to comedy so these are your basically your first gigs there's no pay what how how does it how many matches so you're doing the what the first match or the 
Yep. I'm, you the, I'm the opener. Right. Paying my dues. Right. Is what they call it. And you're fighting another guy who you know or fighting you don't the, know. Mm-hmm, fighting the guy that I'm training with. And specifically, the guy that I train with is named CM Punk. And now he's, he's a big guy. He's the number one guy and re- number two guy in oh, professional wrestling. Are you guys still friends? Best friends. Yeah, he's my next, my next door neighbor. Really? Yeah. Out here? Yep. Yeah. But th- doesn't that sting a little bit? Uh, no. Uh. And which is where I never... <laughs> <laughs> okay well like, he's I, always buying me lunch I, yeah, I, I, and he takes care of me all right and there was never really any jealousy because th- they're honestly i say that i'm just i'm super happy for him yeah and as long as i'm not pushed out of wrestling completely yeah. i'll always be happy for him and i think his his time is there and i still think maybe my time Will be some somewhere up, you know, and something's gonna get in the late thirties or sure. early forties. I can I can do something. So okay, so you're doing these gigs. You go like like just. I, I mean, I saw the wrestler, but I, I I know that's somewhat true. But you're going out to these gigs in small rooms, mm-hmm. right? What like VFW uh, halls? So how many people go to those things? You like know, the local gigs, 50, 100, 150, so, so 200. 100 people to you know from fifty to two hundred people. That's not a huge crowd. They got a ring set up. And you, okay, so you're about to enter the ring in your first match against a guy that you know that maybe you drove up with. Mm-hmm. So what's the discussion? How does that, how does that unfold? I mean, you're about, do you go like, I'm going to do this, you're going to do that, and then we're going to do this? I mean, well, that, that, those situations yeah. are something that we've gone over in training school for the most part. That's what, what we were trained to do to get ready for that. I mean, do you want the complete... Ins and outs. Like, like, what are the like? I have no idea we, what the show. We, we want a of. we want a good guy. We want versus a bad guy, right? You know, and uh, so you got to decide at that point since no one's an established good guy or bad guy who the bad guy's going to be. Correct. And the bad guy's got to act like an asshole. And the, the, one of the tricks of wrestling is that the bad guy goes out first because yeah. it's easier to get booed than to get cheered for people to hate you than to love you. Right. Bad guy goes out first. How do they know you're immediately the bad guy if you're not all decked out? And this with, is this is a, a skill you have to learn. Right. So what is it? A facial thing? Is it? It's almost like clowning. There's now, sure you got to look like an asshole somehow. Yeah. So you got to the the idea is like you know you're the pompous fucking that guy. Well, you say that look like like the first couple of years. You know, I don't know what I'm doing, and I'm thinking, well, what does everyone hate? Yeah. At that time, late '90s, I'm wearing a backwards, upside down visor. Yeah. You know, like oh, that's what I hate yeah. while in college. Those okay. frat guys. So yeah. I'm doing something like that. Yeah. That's all I know of what people hate. And but the disposition is is sort of uh, over the top pomposity mm-hmm. in a way, and usually the good guy's a little more humble, like you know, like you know, I've got to take down the bad guy, mm-hmm. and he's the better wrestler, and because he's the better wrestler, the bad guy has to cheat because he's not as good as the good guy, right? So that's where the cheating comes in, and that's where the referee plays such an important part. Is you don't want to cheat in front of the referee because then you would get disqualified, and then the quote unquote the heat. Yeah, where you know the reaction of the crowd, the angry reaction of the crowd now would be on the referee instead of the bad guy. So you want to cheat behind the referee's back, and there's a whole psychology to it. There's there's truly it's called wrestling psychology. That's what you learn, and there's a there's a there's an A to B psychology that you learn in school. Yeah, but when you've been doing it for years, then yeah. all of a sudden you're able to, and I'd imagine it's the same as when you're building a set or building. Your jokes. Well, not really. I mean, you know, because you, you know, you're both the good guy and the bad guy in my racket. You know, depending on what kind of entertainment you want. And I think the reason why you know wrestling transcends time in a way. I mean, this is something. This type of wrestling has been around forever. Mm. I mean, I'm not sure when it started. Do you know? Uh, 
I mean, it's the early 1900s, right. you know, 1800s, it and the carnival. A, right, it served a purpose. There was a spectacle to it, and, and, it, and it got people immediately engaged in this narrative of good versus evil on some level. And there was a certain amount of, uh, it's, it's almost like clowning in a way. Sure. I mean, so, it comes from the carnival. Right. Of course. And, and so, like, but there, these scripts, it's, it's just very interesting to me. So what you, what you learn when you do these, these one-nighters or these, uh, these smaller gigs is you know just owning your skills of 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 how you know how bad you can make your bad guy imagine you start to evolve a personality as a bad guy or as a good guy that's uniquely yours of course and then like you know you start with a hat turned backwards and then maybe you can make other choices mm -hmm. and now when you say when the bad guy has to cheat like you know that's what chairs uh, you know, you know, uh, anything dastardly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, what is that list? A powder in the face, brass knuckles, choking on the ropes behind the ref, poking in the eyes. <laughs> these are all things. These are this is classic referee uh, wrestling. And you can cheating. you can go either way. You can go good guy or bad guy. Me? Yeah. I've been a good guy for this is my 14th year in wrestling. I would say I've been a good guy for the past 12 years. And what happened was I, f I found my character. Yeah. It was six or seven years it took me. So okay, so as you, when did you know you had the character? I mean, so so you were primarily a good guy for the most part. How do you decide who's going to win? Uh, the promoter decides. Oh really? Sure. What's whatever's best for business. So that's that's the understanding is you know you and the other guy in the ref. That's the show. The promoter says you're going to lose mm -hmm. because I need these people to to you know come back. Yeah, you you're going to lose because they want to cheer. You know, next time we could sell more tickets if we come back. If this guy loses. If he cheats to win. So the, 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 the genius of, of wrestling promotion is to string out a narrative with characters for as long as possible. As long as possible. And uh, almost a, a century yeah. is essentially right. what it is. Right. Yeah. All right. So you it takes you six years of these kind of bouts to mm -hmm. develop your personality. What was the first sort of, what was that moment where you're like, okay, I'm this guy? Yeah, and I'll tell you, I, I'm a comedic wrestler. I do comedy yeah. in wrestling. I consider myself a comedian for the most what part. What does that mean? Um... There's a lot of wrestlers who think they're tough and right. angry and mean, and that's the persona they put on, most of them. I do, I make the crowd laugh. Yeah. Yeah, that's my, that's my goal. It's what I want to do. Yeah. I, I, as a good guy. As a good guy, that's the way I win their hearts over, right. by putting a smile on their face. Right. And I remember for a long time, I was just being tough wrestler guy, and I remember I was wrestling this guy, AJ Styles, who was on... Spike TV now all the time. He's a big star in our world. Yeah. And we were known as two good wrestlers. We were great, you know, solid wrestlers. We knew how to do the yeah. job. Yeah. And we're doing this thing. We're doing this thing. And he hits the ropes. And I stick out my foot. And I trip him. Yeah. And it, and it got the biggest reaction of the night. Probably the biggest reaction of my career at that point. Was that an unusual wrestling move? Or? Yes. Not... not that's you know he's ready to he's churning up he's going to hit those ropes something awesome's going to happen i stick on my foot like wiley coyote or whatever right and he falls on his so, face so usually the the bad guy move would be to to clothesline him or, or sure to, right but the tripping was a little more subtle yes because it was slapstick crowd goes crazy yeah biggest reaction of that night probably to my career that i've heard and it just it it, it sparks in me this is what the people want I'm a goofball in general, yeah. just a, a real idiot, yeah. and that no problem. Let's yeah. do it. Let's right. get into it. Right. And that's where it, that's the moment for me where I saw it, and then you got your first big laugh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> What's my first big laugh? And I was hooked, and I wanted to. Nobody in wrestling was really doing this for the yeah. most part, and I wanted to perfect it. And from there on, that was my goal. Was it still is my goal? Was it an impulsive thing? I mean, had you planned it, or it just? Uh, yeah, 
But I mean, it was a small detail in what was to be a, a bigger thing. Right. But it just that's. So then what now? How do you when you as. OK, so that's your you're the guy who's funny. So that that was your first big laugh is tripping this dude, just sticking your foot out in, a, in sort of a goofy way. So how did you build on this comedic persona? What were like how like I, like I wish I was more familiar with you in the well, ring. Well, I went. So what happened was um, I, I graduated college. Yeah, uh, I had to, I figured I'd, I'd just go right to WWE. Well, that didn't that didn't happen. Well, so, in college, so like by the time you graduated, you had a couple years. On I, yeah, I'd been in three and a half years. Right. Uh, I got a normal job. Doing what? Uh, I was a teaching assistant while going all over the country to wrestle. Te- teaching assistant? What does that yeah, mean? Yeah, I was working with uh, kids with um, Down syndrome and autism. Um, just, you know, it was great. Nine to three, I could weekends off to do my wrestling, much like Randy the Ram and the wrestler. So how do you, so you, so basically you spent the day, what, you, you'd go and what, you play with the kids? And- yeah, I, 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 I shadowed a kid with Down syndrome. And he, to be honest... He was a big inspiration in my career. Um, the kid, the kid's got Down syndrome. He's yeah. the funny. He was the funniest kid. He was always goofing around, yeah. always having a joke. He was yeah. very inspiring to me. What what, what made you? What, what what sort of puts you in that direction? It's a unique uh, uh, line of uh, of social service. My girlfriend uh, does the same mm-hmm. thing. She shadows a, an autistic uh, autistic kids. I mean, what, what what from what made you do that? Well, I was a camp counselor for sports camp counselor for ten years before uh-huh. that. And I love working with children. You were a sports camp counselor? Yeah, while doing the wrestling. So when but you when you so you got into that when you were like seventeen or eighteen? Fifteen. Yeah, yeah with, the, and, with the park district. And uh, what a day camp thing? Uh summer camp. Yeah, yeah, but not sleepover, just day camp. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you work for the city kind mm-hmm. of. And you just go play sports with kids. Yeah, it was great. I free tans, you're outside all day, you're playing with kids. It's not I never really like I had all these weird odd jobs. I was an umpire too. For kids, uh, for kids, yeah, yeah, and uh, and I guess in in a, in a way, I mean, I do some of the greatest moments are this, you know, the smiles on the kids' faces yeah, yeah. when you wrestle, yeah, and um, so yeah, it was an easy transition. The park district there, worked with the school system. Was there someone in like, because like you know, camp counselors in my mind, like when I went to camp, I didn't go to sports camp, but you know, these kind of people can have a big um, impact on your life. I mean, you know, if you have a a, a good sort of adult guide, you know, in, in, you know, who's not your parents. I mean, you can really have... Unlike a- the coach at Western Michigan. Exactly. But, I mean, did you uh, did you go to those camps when you were a kid? I mean, was there some... Yeah, but I hated those camps. <laughs> yeah. I hated, like, the outdoors and the stickiness of it all and yeah, and the, but- the order of it. I really hated the order. Yeah. Hence why, I, you know, same lifestyle. I'm a wrestler. I wake up at 12. Sure. But, I mean, but you did go, like, work with these kids. I mean, to work with, uh, you know, autistic kids and, and kids with Down syndrome, it's sort of... It's a tall order. It's a certain type of person that 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 does that, and you you got a lot out of it, huh? Yeah, for sure. Um, but the, the reality was, is I love doing it, but you know, I, I was. You don't have kids. You're not married. I I, I don't. I'm not. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I was. Uh, I was. It was hard to wake up at seven o'clock. You know, do my shows all over the weekend. Wake up early for school. I was making uh, eleven thousand dollars as a teaching assistant. Um, and then all of a sudden, like I'm making five thousand as a wrestler, and it's like, ooh, I, I think I could do this wrestling full time. And what happens was, I, it got to the point where, you know, I, 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 my, my wrestling money was almost matching my teaching assistant money, yeah. and I was ready to do it full time. And I stopped. I, I did two years as, as a teacher, and I said, okay, I'm a full time wrestler now. Let's go where the full time wrestling is, and it's not in America. And I moved over to England for three months. 
and I did the the British circuit over there. Well, let me ask you a question about this kid with Down syndrome. Okay, he, he's he was funny, mm-hmm. and and I I imagine that you, you know there with with people with Down syndrome that or or people who are or who don't have that that weird self consciousness. Yeah. That that that's like you you know you don't like they know when they're being funny a lot of times and if you're laughing at a, 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 a mentally disabled kid for the right reason with him I'm laughing yeah, with, with him, him. right <laughs> no I know because he knows he's being funny yeah. but there's none of that sort of like you know there's no second guessing the funny mm, Mr. it's all Mr. Colton I farted every time I'm on the floor and he's laughing too the fun it's amazing to me every time yeah well there's nothing funnier than farts did you. <laughs> Use farts in your wrestling? Um, yeah, sometimes <laughs> no. you'll sure. I mean, between it's a joke between uh, uh-huh. you know. There's there's weird positions and weird moves, and you get in there. Oh, so you, you get up and you do the wave. The no, no, no. Do. I'm saying just between. Let's say me and you are having a match, yeah. and you get me in a, a move called the sunset flip, and yeah. you know you're pinning me, and my yeah. ass is right in your face. So yeah. I'll let one go. Right. Right. Yeah, yeah. Oh, good for a, you. A little harmless ribbing. All right. So you realize that you know you're not ready for the WWE. WWE at the, yeah. at the time and you're like I'm, I'm gonna go where the wrestling is where mm-hmm. I can keep working and mm-hmm. maybe uh, make a break and I, so Britain's got a big circuit Britain's got a big circuit and also yeah. I'm, I'm introduced to um, the old school British wrestling which isn't on television here it was only British uh, British England used to be you know one of the bigger circuits now they only play WWE wrestling but mm-hmm. before they had their own wrestling on ITV how was it different it, uh, very what wasn't uh, bright lights it was very straight laced uh, there was no punching it was move for move hold for hold everything was taken very seriously and you never did wrestling in high school no or anything. no because that that doesn't necessarily yeah help I, you. I didn't even i mean it, looking back i probably should have and yeah. a lot of people do you know a guy like kurt angles an olympic medalist and yeah. a huge star in the world of wrestling yeah but to me it was two completely different things right and um yeah the, the rest so the so the old British wrestling, and then I'm watching tapes. While I'm over there, I'm living the life that these guys l- lived. I'm wrestling seven times a week, sometimes eight times a week. I ended up wrestling uh, 84 matches in 75 days. I had a broken thumb halfway into it, but that's what you do. And th- and I was such a fan of those people who had done it before me. I wanted to go in that pathway, and I was introduced to the old-time wrestlers. And old-time, I w- you mean there's no costumes? There's no... I mean, how is it different than... Or just the wrestling? guys who had done it before me in that era. Yeah. And there was a wrestler named Les Kellett. Yeah. And British guy. British guy. Yeah. And as comedy fans, I would ask you to go watch some Les Kellett on YouTube. Yeah. Not as a... not. It's not even wrestling. It's yeah. just unbelievable comedy. Yeah. And to watch this guy and to see how serious he takes wrestling and doesn't joke... Uh, about wrestling you know people they they joke with wrestling and this becomes my inspiration uh to follow his lead well i mean these characters are so broad i mean i mean there's there's definitely comedy to it i would Mm. say that that professional wrestling is really probably 90 percent comedy isn't it Uh, mm, a lot more drama i would say it's all at the end of the day it's all about the drama of that final match. Yeah, but there's a moment even in the drama of the final match, like one of the guys in the ring is going to be a buffoon of some kind. I would prefer that in my matches. <laughs> but In but some of the bigger I, matches. Maybe I'm just not looking at it the right way. But I mean, there, there's... No, some... you, to me, you're looking at That's the way I wish everyone would look at it. the most serious of, of bad guys, they're hilarious. I mean, on some level. To, I mean, sure, on, on some level. Maybe it's gotten more menacing lately. But well, I mean, there, there's something about the exaggeration. I mean, even when Kaufman did it, I mean, and he is a comic, but even when he's just acting like a dick, yes. it's funny. Well, he took a very Memphis style. 
His, Me- oh, there's a Memphis style? Yeah, it's like barbecue. Yeah. A, how many different styles are there's, there? There's tons of styles. Lucha Libre, you know. Well, strong, that's a Mexican style. Strong style Japanese. But there's also Memphis. There's a Memphis circuit for years, which was very different from the New York style, which was the McMahon style. What's the Memphis style? And the Memphis style is a lot of walk and talk. It is a lot of... Um, over exaggeration, um, strutting around. Yeah, a lot of stalling. Um, oh, really? Yeah, that was known as the Memphis style. And when when Kauf, when Kaufman went down there, um, he took, in my mind, he took. He was an actor playing the job of a heel, and that's what he saw heels did. Jerry Lawler, you know, Memphis, Tennessee. That was his idea of what a heel was. Now, it worked great because he was on television. He was known. The heel's the bad guy? The heel's the bad guy, yeah. yeah. But there was guys down there, you know, there's different, there's menacing styles of being a heel. Jake the Snake Roberts and Roddy Piper, these guys don't, didn't use... Jake the Snake, he was the guy in that documentary, yes, right? Yes, yeah, and Beyond the Mat. Beyond the Mat, like that guy Barry, I, I, you know, I know him, we're kind of friends. You know, he wanted to do a doc about me, and I watched that thing, it was great. It's one of my favorites. Is he all right, that guy? Jake, I saw Jake, I was on a show with him the other day. Well, because he was the dude with the daughter and the drug issue. And yep, everything. and when he does interviews, you know, uh, if I was to have him on my podcast, he, the rule is you can't talk about Beyond the Mat. So he's upset about it. Yes. So that's his rule. But he's on the road. He doesn't wrestle anymore, but he does appearances and people remember him. Is he sober? He was then. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Bought, bought me dinner. Yeah. I was amazed by that. He seemed like a real charming character, that guy. He's been around the world and he grew up as a as a as a wrestler. His you know, his father was the wrestler. He grew up in that world. Yeah. That carny world. Yeah. Carnies. Yeah. All right. So there's the Memphis style and the New York style is what? It's you know, there was territories all over this. Vince McMahon took all these ter- territories and made them into one global thing that we see now. But before, there was, you know, 26, you go to Portland and you wrestle in Portland. Then you go to uh, Arkansas, you wrestle in Arkansas. Then you go to California and San Francisco. And none of these TVs, there was no internet, there was no major cable stations. Um, they so, were either local television. Yeah, it was all local television. Because right. that's what I saw when I was a kid, yeah. I remember it. And then eventually, when Hulkamania hit and Vince McMahon Jr. took over from Vince McMahon Sr., the WWF... He made it a global thing, and all these little dying territories and all these little styles of wrestling, they went away, and it became one thing. Sort of sad in a way. Very sad. It's sad for guys who want to make a living, and it's, it's sad. I mean, it's great for Vince McMahon. He's a, million, a billionaire. So what, what but, that basically did, it's almost like, a, uh, like Live Nation or Clear Channel, where is that now these guys who are just sort of meat and potato wrestlers you know, who are making a living doing the, the sponsored shows in their region. Because mm-hmm. I imagine that all these shows have sponsors, and they got to be local sponsors. It's got to be sort of affiliated with radio in a way, where, like, you know, the, the car lot, you know, every week they sponsor the show. So all these guys who are just at that level, who could make an okay living traveling around the region, they're fucked. Because now... You know, there's probably a monopoly on the shows, and you know now they've got to break into whatever McMahon has created there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right? he's handpicking the top stars, yeah. and then that territory slowly dies because they see his show on television. Yeah, the lights, the pyro, the the beautiful production of these television shows. And then they look at the little one that you saw in New Mexico, and they go, "That's not." That's not wrestling. The WWF one. That's but wrestling. is there any sort of like even now? Is there some sort of retro resurgence of more intimate wrestling? I mean, are there people that enjoy 
that type of wrestling over the spectacle? Yeah, it's called the independent wrestling scene. Yeah. And that's what I'm doing. All right, let's get back to the rise and fall okay. of you. <laughs> Thank you. So you're a kid with a dream. Yeah. And I and, I, and I, you, you lock into this British dude. I lock into the British dude. I, I wrestle. Now I'm wrestling over there. I'm traveling the world. Are you getting any traction? Are people like yeah, coming to I'm see get, you? I'm, I'm getting good. I'm getting yeah. a little buzz on the internet. Right. I get, I get, um, you know, I get flown places. Yeah. It's not like I'm... I'm it's not like I'm on TV in Japan, but because yeah. of the internet, and the power of the internet, sure. people know who I am and yeah. know my name, and I'm getting flown to Japan. I'm getting flown to Germany. I'm uh -huh. doing these shows, uh -huh. and the goal is to get signed by the WWE. And so you're basically working up to this point where you're like ready for that. Yeah, where I and and in your mind, what do you need to be that guy? Just to be a great wrestler, or you got to you know. I just need an opportunity. Right. Yeah. You need to get in the ring for a WWE fight. Yeah. Right. And um, and what happened was, I mean, I, I did it for about eight years until I got signed. And they, and because I had such a nice little name for myself, I didn't get hired based on doing a, a match with them or anything. So many guys in the – I'd made so many friends who had eventually got jobs. Uh, so many guys had said, you got to hire Colt. You got to hire Colt. And kind of without even watching me or knowing that I was a comedic wrestler or knowing what I was about and how different I was from that style of wrestling, the guys, I think, said, okay, sure, and signed me up. And I got sent. This is McMahon? This is McMahon's, the guy who worked for right, McMahon. Right. His booker. He's becoming, such, he's such a, yeah. in a different world. Sure. And so I got sent to their minor league system, the developmental system. That, so there's that's uh, the farm team for the WWE. Their farm team to get, what, to get me ready for their television. What, how, but how does that work? How is that different than what you were doing before? I mean, what's that? I get a paycheck every Monday. Yeah. I'm not hustling. I'm right. not bringing my merch bag. I don't have to. Um, I don't have to sell bootleg Macho Man rap CDs. But what, what's ultimately the test on that level? Are they seeing that if you can develop a draw, or that if you? I mean, because obviously you know the scripts. You know, you know the 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 ring. So when you're doing that that test, that B team, the farm team for the WWE, what is their expectation of you? I don't think they really knew. They they put they 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 just sign guys, they throw them down there, and they're when they but think you're playing some, public matches, right? Yeah. So they're trying to see if you can get you're going to be a star. Yes. And but it's not like they like we have we have a guy we have a lumberjack idea. Who should be the lumberjack? This guy. No, they're they're just seeing if people resonate with you. Correct. Right. And I did. Yeah. And I did really well down there. Yeah. And, um, you know, at one point, one of the guys, one of the head guys from WWE came down and said, wow, you have it. You have it. That's what they said to me. You and, got star star appeal. Yes. Yeah. And the people like me. I'm, I'm, I like to think that I, I relate with with people and well, wrestling well, fans. Well, you seem like a pretty sensitive guy. I, I imagine mean, that's your yeah, that's your the, the good thing about you, but also your Achilles heel. Yes. I'm normal. <laughs> yeah. And I always, Vince McMahon wants larger than life. Yeah. And I think in this day and age, it's people want to relate to the guy. They they want to say, this so guy's just like me. I could hang out with this guy. You're creating some sort of intimacy and, and some sort of uh, genuineness uh, in wrestling, which is antithetical to wrestling on some level. It's a big word. Like, it's not, <laughs> it's not what wrestling is. Like, you want to make it relatable. Yes. Whereas, you know, wrestling is trying to create supervillains and superheroes. Well, the wrestling that society and our culture yeah. have said. Yeah. But in this point of my life, I realize there's not only is there something different, I can be a part of something different, and I can help start a movement to really bring that light to people that it's not exactly what... what people see on Monday nights that doesn't have to be professional wrestling. Okay, well that but I'm sure that that realization came after they pushed you out. Um that realization came when they made me conform 
to their style of All wrestling. Right, well, let's talk about that. So you're on the farm team there. Yeah. And then you get called up to the big league. Yeah. What's that? What was that call? What was that day like? Well, it was it was one of the greatest days of my life at that point. How did it how did it happen? I, I had been I had been in Louisville, Kentucky on their farm team. They yeah. moved the farm team to Florida, so yeah. I had moved twice. Yeah. Um and finally I'd been there a year and a half and they said, Colt, we're we're calling you up. They had nothing specific for me, but they said you're gonna you're gonna do this match. Um and, and you know and what happened was I ended up losing in two minutes. Yep. But was that the plan? No, you don't get you don't bring a guy up and have him. I mean, that's you're you're f- feeding him to the sharks, aren't you? Oh, you you don't get to have the pre-match discussion. No, the, no big. He's coming. He's the next. No, big but thing I mean, is I, coming. Th- I thought there was a script to this shit. I mean, I thought that like you know you you were the good guy. Yeah, and there was a bad guy. Yeah, and the and the bad guy that I debuted against was going on to bigger and better things. The business of the match was f- to get this guy over to make him a big star to show that he's the man. But when you debut, the the business yeah. should be. That hey, this is the guy debuting. This is our new star. But it was just kind of we slid him fed in. You, fed you the lions. Yeah, they just, they're, they're like fucking. And, but you, did you know you were going to drop that quick? Was it? I mean, going in, I thought it was going to be a, a long match. They were talking about having a whole angle, a storyline of me taking him to court uh-huh. and doing all these like lawyer uh, and, and, and small claims court, and it all it all just dropped, which happens up there. And so were they bullshitting you? I mean, were they no, like they, I, they were just feeding your dream and then they kicked your ass? That business is crazy. Like that Monday night wrestling, it's the, the scripts are changing. You know, they write a script. Let's say they finish the script on Sunday night and the script, by the time it goes on air, that script has changed 25 times. But why'd you drop so quick? That was the end of your story? That was the end of your script at that night? Yes. I mean, basically, I, from what I hear, and it's all second nature, the guy, the guy who didn't know that I was... Um, you know, having a great time in Florida, the fans were loving me. Some guy who does the pr- the producing looks at me and goes, "Oh, that guy doesn't look like a wrestler," and that's my fate. From what I hear, I don't know if that's right, but th- the idea See, is this is how it's exactly like show business. Yeah, this is your big break, mm-hmm. and you get fucked. Yeah, you, I mean, you thought you had a good spot, mm-hmm. and it turns out the spot wasn't my good. dream. My dream was about to come true. I was about to debut as a superstar, and then you were just uh, you were just fodder. You they were, changed my name from Colt Cabana to Scotty Goldman, which. Yeah. You know, I ended up, I had a conversation with Vince McMahon. I had a meeting with him. Yeah. And basically, I'm telling him my love. He's like, well, what do you like to do? And I'm mm-hmm. like, you know, I, for my hobby, I, I love comedy. Mm-hmm. I, I love al- alternative comedy, um, just the idea of it. He's like, what's alternative comedy? And I tried to explain to him, like, which was my first mistake, you know, uh, I don't know, like like the state or kids in the hall. And I'm just, the idea yeah. of it. And he and he turns to the, his wingman. He goes, oh, kind of like Jackie Gleason, right? And I was like, oh, no, he... He's not going to understand any <laughs> of this or what I am or what I represent. Yeah. And so, I mean, that's kind of where I saw my fate. So he just, I'm to him, to, to my age of people, they get me. Yeah. To his age of people, he, I'm, I'm Jackie Gleason, you know, or Bob Hope. Huh. And so, um, so I'm just another guy. I'm, I'm expendable. And, and I do, I, I, I do four matches, a couple battle royals. And before you know it, they they have the line they give us is creative has nothing for you they're a creative team to which i later make fun of it now i have a youtube show called creative has nothing for you because um so that means so okay so the the best that could have happened is that you 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 do your audition you know you 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 kick ass you mm-hmm. know, maybe not win the match but you know they see some 
you know something that they can work with mm-hmm. and then creative starts generating storylines for your character correct that's the best that can happen correct so you your first day in they just they three to the lions and then the second match same thing second match same thing third match I'm like first. you had no opportunity to sort of strut or do your show right but what happened was i got um they were start doing internet shows yeah and i got i, I they i lost a bunch of matches and then um, they took me off the road for a while, and then they gave me this www.com show. And now um, it's, I guess, you know, before the YouTube show started hitting, it was bef- it was around that time. Yeah. It was called What's Cracking with Scotty Goldman. Yeah. And I was writing, uh, I was writing material yeah. for this show, and um, and I'm I'm they give me a writer, this guy named Joe. He worked on Leno. He was about 60. Yeah. And I, I myself fired him. Yeah. I don't think I was allowed to. Yeah. But I was like, yeah, no. It's because he's it. writing with me. Can't do the jokes. Yeah, yeah. No, what are you doing? And then yeah. so I I give my script and then they cut it down and then they're cutting down my material. Mm. And But at the end of the day, it got a nice little following. But that, at the time, WWE.com, I don't think it was very important to the shows. So the, the big boss men, they hadn't seen those shows or the traction I was getting or the numbers I was getting. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they were just worried, and then rightfully so, they were worried about John Cena and Batista and, mm-hmm. and the millions of dollars that they draw. And uh, eventually, I mean, it just came to a point where they just they just kind of let me go. So okay, so the so the WWE just said we're done. We're, we're not going to renew your contract. And here, so you, your your big opportunity, your big shot, you you didn't get it mm. really. You didn't get the you know. What, but what is it that you think? Was really di- different for like what were you not willing to do, or what do you think was different uh, from you and and what they expected? Well, uh, to a point, I, I was scared to 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 one hundred percent show my way. But like what? Because I know for me, like I'm not everybody's cup of tea as a comic, and I and I it, it was not. Yeah, you know, I never knew how to to be everybody's cup of tea, and you know, and, and, and my audiences were small and relatively, you know, speaking, they they are still to a certain level. You know, I'm not a major act, uh, you know, but the people that like me like me, and and that's it. You know, I I can't, you know, I can't put on a mask or get any bigger. Maybe I could if I, but I don't want to. I want to be authentic uh, to myself. So was that the same issues you were dealing with? I mean, well, yeah, I didn't have. If, if you mean like, I didn't have the body of what these guys looked like, right? So and I um I'm not I have no interest in, in steroids or or any of that right and um so I mean I so I didn't look the parts I guess but I so it was a look thing I I think you know so I, you weren't willing to to mutate your body yeah to- and they have such a great policy now I don't think they were asking of that but essentially. I work out. I'm a big dude, but I'm, I'm I don't have a six pack abs, yeah. and I don't look like what these these guys look like. Right. But I know I can connect on a level with them. But you know you can connect with the audience as a performer. 100. percent So it, you know it was just uh, because it's so much about wrestling is about that connection. But these guys, you know, also be, you know, became these monsters. Yeah, and and the the people in charge don't have an opportunity to get to know me. Mm-hmm. To get to know that I'm a funny guy, I'm a fun-loving guy, I have a great sense of humor, I'm a normal dude. Well, they don't seem to care. They just want that energy, the monster energy that they can write for. And you know, Because, I mean, I know Mick Foley. I saw him you know, the other day. I used to interview him on my old show. He's a sweet guy, but he's pretty beat up because he was one of those guys for a long time, mm-hmm. wasn't he? Yeah. I mean, you know, he looks kind of beat up. Yeah. He made his money on Crash and Burn, right? I mean, that's where he became a legend is he took these crazy bumps and these crazy falls. Right. I, at a, at a smart age, 
realize that I'm going to make my money making people laugh and yeah. not doing the, the big falls. Right. And that's what's going to give me longevity. So, okay, so you get your, your dream gets kind completely diverted. You're, you're, you don't know. You're out. The yep. WWE, the, the, which is the only game in town for massive recognition, has said new. No. The only place you can make money in professional wrestling. Yeah. In everyone's mind, for the most part. Right. Yeah. So I, I. So were you heartbroken? Were you? I mean, I don't get depressed. But if I was, if there was ever a point that I was depressed, it would be that. I mean, because what are you, twenty eight, twenty nine yeah. at this point? Yeah. You put your whole life into doing this thing. And they're not, they're not going to take a, you know, a thirty five year old. I mean, your career is done at thirty five. You're too old for the wrestling industry. Yeah. That's you know what they say. Yeah. So it's not like I'm ever going to get another shot. Right. So I mean, but what this is what I know, and this is what I want to do. And there was no plan B in your head. There's never been a plan B. Um, I mean, even with a college I, education. I, I know that one. Yeah, yeah, and I always said plan B is setting yourself up for failure. Right, but there's also pride involved once you invested a, a, that much of your life in it. Yeah, and, and so I, I mean, I go home, I go on monster.com, and I'm like, sh should I use this marketing degree? I, I didn't know what to do with my life, but, I, but I, since enough people liked me and enjoyed me, um, you know, I was getting, people were paying to have me on their shows, yeah. and I just, I felt it going down, not going up. Mm. my career mm -hmm. and um and that's where the podcast comes in ain't it you know but you wrestle now right what is that circuit like like because i know like in in la and you know and uh, maybe new york but there was a there's sort of become a luche uh, uh mexican wrestling sort of tie-in with the whole sort of nouveau neo-burlesque movement. yeah i wrestle for lucha vavum yeah lucha yeah. Vavum, yeah i love them they're yeah. great and that's but that's like a hipster thing and that, yeah, and I'm proud to be a part of it. And, and what I say is, is that there is that all, there's so there's different aspects of wrestling that I that I want people to know about. And I, I guess I would say, like, if you just say someone, hey, what's comedy? They go, you know, Jay Leno or whatever, mm. and you go, no, there's there's so much more sure, out right. there. Jackie Gleason. Yeah, yeah. And so if you say what's wrestling? Oh, only only WWE. No, there's. There's Lucha Vavum. I wrestle for the Insane Clown Posse. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, there's groups like Chikara, which is basically it's a kid-friendly uh, promotion that I wrestle for. Um, and in California, with, with Lucha Vavum, there's a group called PWG, and they, mm -hmm. they run once a month, and you'll see people from, like, Community and True Blood come out, and it's in this little VFW hall, and they pack it every single month. So there is sort of a kind of, like, classic wrestling retro thing, hipster thing going mm -hmm, on. For sure. And it's called the Independency. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's so that's wrestling's alternative comedy that, for sure, one hundred percent. And and how are those crowds? They're small. Yeah. But the way I look at it is, um, you know, I'm I I love I love your quote when when you say, um, I won't quote it exactly, yeah. but you have to make somebody else money to make money to make yeah. money. Yeah. And you know, when you wrestle for WWE and wrestle in front of eighteen thousand people, right. Uh, the, the the ring crew's getting a, a cut. The, the merchandise guys get yeah. a cut. Everyone's getting a cut. Everyone uh, and eventually it slices it all down. Right. But that ratio of when you're your own man going to your own show and selling your own merchandise that you paid for yourself that that's just a one to one ratio. That's, but that's like making a living versus making money. You, you know, I mean, I'm in that world too. Like, right. Like you know, when you make a living, you can earn a living. You know, uh, doing what you do if you figure out how to do yes. it. Yes. But in order to make money, sure, someone's got to go. Oh, that kid can make money for me, and then uh, you know, then it becomes a different game. I don't. I haven't solved that. We haven't figured. Yeah, I'm trying to figure. I, I think I'm not close. But if we take how's, this path, well, how's it look for you? I mean, what, what's your what's your vision of it? How's that going to happen for you? I you don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think 
all I ever wanted to do was was take wrestling go from town to town like I did in England yeah, yeah. town to town to town but the, yeah. I, the the thing is you have to carry uh, you know um, a three thousand dollar wrestling ring around yeah. and I always love the fact that as a stand up comedian you just need a microphone sure you don't even have to carry that right yeah and so I want to f- <laughs> have them there for you yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> and my goal is is to figure out how to do wrestling without a wrestling ring mm-hmm. and whether that's um, the podcast or the show, the five dollar wrestling I do, uh, which is like a mystery science three thousand or a cheap seats, mm-hmm. you know, over wrestling, mm-hmm. um, or the movies I may I'm making mo- a documentary series now and or live the live podcasts and I see people coming out and I see that I don't have to bring a giant wrestling ring and there's such this niche art this niche audience that love wrestling, but you don't necessarily have to bring that ring, and I think so- it will hit somewhere. I got to find where it's at. Well, did you ever think about, you know, there, did you ever think about running scripts, you know, as podcasts, but, but subverting them in the way, like, like, you know, you got two wrestlers, you and another guy on the podcast and, you know, some shit goes down. Right. But to the point where, you know, the audience doesn't necessarily know if it's real or not. And, and you just sort of run sort of classic wrestling scripts based around this medium like do you know what i mean build on them yeah does that make sense well the art of bringing people up and down is is what we do in wrestling right just bring them up to bring them down to bring them back up again and and i and i and i think what i've learned in the wrestling ring is i when I when I write for my YouTube show or when uh-huh. I you know when I'm putting together the podcast uh-huh. when I'm putting together I put I do sometimes I do little uh, skits uh-huh. and we do little shorts uh-huh. and I do I, I integrate that comedy wrestling skits into the podcast and I'll integrate something written and I think about bringing them up to bring them down the same well the t- one thing you have see that uh, the way I'm thinking about it is that this medium that we're talking in right now is one of the few places where you can still fuck with people. <laughs> That in the sense that I don't do it, but you know when people have a, this relationship with the radio, I mean, there's something about just this one-on-one thing where if you play it straight, people are going to be like, "Is that real?" And there's no way for them to determine whether it's not or because they're not looking at anything; they're just listening. To something. Mm-hmm. It's like War of the Worlds, you know, the H.G. Wells, you know, the Orson Welles thing, you know, the, that radio broadcast in the what was the 30s where the the Earth was invaded by uh, by Martians, and they played it completely straight, right? And people panicked. They freaked out around the country because of the earnestness of this medium. I would have to think that given that, you know, wrestling sort of, you know, rides that line where people like, you know, the the big question is always, oh, is that fake? But it seems like you could do something with this medium where people would be, where you could definitely fuck with people. Well, I, I couldn't be the guy that turns bad. Yeah. Because then the business goes away. It's not for a lack of trying yeah. to do something. Is I've I have so many bajillion little mini projects and yeah. I, I always saw that as and what when i got fired from wwe that was my one basket yeah and i was like i can't ever do that again i can't yeah. ever have one basket right because it went away so now i give myself seven baskets i don't know i have an agent i don't, I don't know what i'm doing but she sends sure. me out I, I, i'm booking gigs i'm and you go you okay to do that out of chicago i mean you don't want to move to the coast or anything i i said when i was 35 that yeah. i would go to la if things didn't pick up this was before I, but things have picked up good so i'm happy to try i mean i travel the world it's ridiculous i'm going to australia twice in the next two months for matches for wrestling yeah and i because i believe the popularity of the podcast is because this thing can be heard anywhere now, so you're doing you so that's so that's part of the independent wrestling scene 
Yeah. That's great, yeah. man. Yeah. And, and people are excited and they get to know you on the podcast and then you go and you go wrestle the Australian guys. Yeah. Yeah. That's fucking great. And I'm a, like, not that, I, and that's why not that I'm this huge draw and selling out uh thousand, you know, seat arenas, but I have 50 people in a line ready to buy my shirt. In and, Australia. In Australia. Probably great. more in Australia. I did. A, I had Brendan Burns on my podcast in England. Sure. And um, we had, I mean... It was, you know, it was a fifty seat, whatever. Yeah, and it sold out with, within a second. You know what I'm saying? So I yeah. can only imagine. Uh, if I, like I was this to do comedy more seats. wrestling crossover, I yeah. like it because they do that in Lucha Vavum too. I mean, they always have MCs. Uh, and I comics. mean, Blaine Capetch, yeah, always. Yeah, it, you know, the wrestlers have no clue, but yeah. I'm like, holy shit, Blaine Capetch <laughs> is calling my matches, and he's hilarious. That's and great. Dana Gould, yeah, 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 yeah Tom Kenny, good, Tom Kenny. Well, good, man. Well, I'm glad it's working out, and, and I'm glad we talked. You? I, you feel good about it? I feel great. All right. So uh, thank you, Colt slash Scott. I don't like to tell people, Scott. I'm really against that. All right. Not against it. Yeah. But it's okay. All right. All right so <laughs> just don't, if you, if you run into Colt, don't bring up the Scott thing. <laughs> yes. Thanks, man. Thank you. That's our show. That's me being educated about wrestling and, and talking to a sweet guy. I hope you enjoyed that. Colt's a, a good dude. Listen to his podcast. All right, that's it for me for today. On a Thursday, we got Keith and the Girl, uh, a couple of podcasters and uh, uh, who were at it long before anybody else who were you know, great help to me early on, an inspiration. Had a good talk with them. They're, they're great. If you don't know them, listen in for that. Got some good interviews coming up, too. Jay Maskus, Dinosaur Jr., coming up soon. What else is going on? WTFPod.com for all your WTF Pod needs. Get on the uh, mailing list. Get some merchandise. Kick in a few shekels. Uh, see who's been on the show. Listen to the show. Leave some comments. Don't be a douchebag or douchebag-ess. Is that the feminine of douchebag? Uh, does there need to be a feminine of douchebag? Can a woman be a douchebag? Unanswered questions. Philadelphia, December 6th through 8th at Helium Comedy Club. I'm looking forward to coming out. I'm looking forward to getting back into that. I just spilled just coffee all over my uh, my desk here. And it's amazing when you spill something just how fucking much it gets all over everything. It got into things I didn't even know it was here. But that, but it was good coffee before I spilled it. You can get some justcoffee.coop at wtfpod.com. And always now, please, in our hearts and minds... Boomer lives. Putting some t-shirts together. Trying to find a charity that I can kick in a little shekels for the uh, for the animals. So look forward to Boomer lives t-shirts. They're coming. That interests you. I gotta go. I gotta go.